0: fascinating gadgets, gizmos and gear based technology. Welcome to F Triple G -G BT. Now, this is the show that takes your favorite fictional science and technology. We make it a reality. We are the brain trust. I am the analytical mastermind Daniel J. Glenn with me, the physics phenom, Dr. Michael Denon.
1: Dan, it is so awesome to be here. And if I might be poetic for a moment, this has been a long time coming and a far distance traveled.
0: I, th- I think that's right, Dan. And I definitely feel like uh, I- I'm from a galaxy far, far away. And my clothes are from a long time ago. So I am, I'm going to fit right in here. And I think you know what we're talking about. I know one guy who knows exactly what it is we're talking about. And that is our enigmatic engineer, Ben Siebzer. Ben, are you still orbiting the brain station, keeping an eye on all things intergalactic?
2: You know, Dan, I have been here up here for quite a long time, but I, this week I took a little trip to the desert because I wanted to study some fascinating creatures that live beneath the dunes, and I also met some very interesting locals while, while I was away well there's
0: nothing i love more than meeting interesting locals while on <laughs> vacation that is always the high point of any vacation i've ever taken and you know speaking of high points you know i am known as the master of film and television and this was my first Movie that I ever saw and of course I'm talking about return of the Jedi So when I was just a wee little tyke, I would my eyes were glued to the cinematic screen watching lightsabers and blasters I don't remember a lot of this, but I do know that this was my favorite movie growing up uh, I was told that I loved it as a toddler and I had and I still have a secret. This is a this is a a little secret I'm telling you guys, I have the original bed sheets from Return of the Jedi, which I refuse to use because, or turn into a skirt, which is some kind of weird famous thing, a uh, thing, popular thing to do now. I refuse to do it. I want to hang on to them, but that's how much I love this movie. And and I have to imagine that this being the final piece of the original trilogy, it had to have had a big effect on you as well.
1: Oh, it did, Dan. You know, I love this. I obviously, I mean, I still remember the original Star Wars coming out and celebrating my friend's 10th birthday party and the contest to watch it as many times as possible because, you know, back then things didn't end up on streaming. You actually had to go right. to a theater and earn right. your multiple rewatches. You <laughs> exactly. Know, and, and Return of the Jedi was right up there with it. But, Dan, I've gained some deep insight into your personality now. If I might psychoanalyze you for a brief moment, um, I sure. now understand why you hate Spoilers. Um, because your mean evil parents forced you to watch the third episode before watching one and two, thus ruining an entire trilogy for you, Dan! <laughs> You Mm. might be onto something,
0: Denon. That is some, that's some Freudian level psychoanalyst. (laughs) Analysis? Analysis. Uh, And I'm the analytical mastermind. I know about analysis, Denon. So I think (laughs) you might have hit it. I'm thinking about this right now. Uh, What about you, Ben? I imagine, you know, for you, this, you are as close as we've come to a Star Wars historian. You know more than, than the Denon and I combined. So I imagine this movie must have really tied it all together for you as well.
2: Absolutely. You know, as we discussed on your other podcast, Fascinating Nouns, Dan, uh, you know, my dad. I'll put a link to that as well, because this is a
0: sequel to that.
2: That's the prequel. (laughs) Uh, You know, my dad takes Star Wars very seriously. And so we took the VCR (laughs) downstairs to the nice TV for the first watching as children, myself and my sister of the Star Wars trilogy. Um, But, you know, an exclusive for this podcast uh, during that watch, there was a storm, ice storm, thunderstorm, I don't quite remember, but we lost power, and we didn't get to watch, finish the whole trilogy in the one day, like planned, wow. and mm-hmm. we had to wait a day, maybe, to for the power to come back on, to finish, so you know, I got some real cliffhanger action while watching, <laughs> uh, you know, that original trilogy. <laughs> You may have had a cl-
0: hold on, Denny, This is important because he may have had a cliffhanger. But talk about an immersive experience! I mean, being out watching Empire, the 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 you know, the, the planet of Hoth while a real ice storm is going on. I mean, that's something I yeah. wish I could have had.
1: Well, well, Ben, I also just have to add, it must have been absolute torture waiting that whole day. Nothing like the multiple years I had to wait to find out. You know, was Darth yeah. Vader really Luke's father? What was going on? Oops, sorry, spoiler for the
2: audience. Hope they know <laughs> that. Jeez, Den, <Dennis>, what <laughs> yeah. are you doing here? <laughs> Yeah, w- one day is way worse than three years, for sure. <laughs> well, one day is like an eternity. I mean, talk yeah. about, I
0: mean, yeah, that, that's that's a nightmare. Uh, yeah, You know, I want to b- make one thing clear to the audience. So you mentioned a couple of promos here, Ben, and I got to match you promo for promo because that's what I do. We've done episodes on carbonite freezing, star, you know, death, I'm sorry, death star tech and The Mandalorian, so we've covered a little bit of Star Wars stuff, but, you know, guys, we like to find those unique little corners of the galaxy, let's say, uh, that we want to look at. And I think, you know, there's there's not a lot of meat on the bone in Star Wars, but I think we found some very interesting angles, including concept you came up with, Denon, that I loved, and that is droid culture. You know, Star Wars is kind of one of the first movies where we see and kind of fall in love with droids, and we see how they interact with each other. They have their own culture with each other, and how they interact with humans and other alien species. So this movie really kind of does all of that, and you kind of, you know, noticed it and picked it out right away.
1: Well, yeah, it was really striking, Dan. And I, I do give credit to the show, um, Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and best Technology for this realization mm-hmm. because of yep. our extreme and excellent analysis of AI. Um mm-hmm. so anyone who's just joining us, as they are discovering, we also have a rich history of mm-hmm. you know <laughs> things yeah. from a long time ago that they can catch up on. But True. the real thing here is you have these robots who you know, have personalities, have intelligence, are almost like what we're afraid AI is, yet at the same time have constraints, have their programming, um, but really do interact. They hey, speak different languages. They don't always understand each other. I mean, mm-hmm. the fact that you actually need a protocol droid to speak among different droids, <laughs> right? It's <laughs> yeah, one I mean. thing for the species to have different languages, but it's amazing that the droids do. So I'm I'm fascinated by it, and I can't wait. You know, for my career switch where I become an anthropologist and I embed myself (laughs) in droid culture. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I love that. I mean, I think it's interesting because all the
0: things you're mentioning are kind of what humans have. And so what they've instilled in in these droids is a sense of Humanity in droid form, you know, it's like cybernetic humanity in some ways, you know And I think that intelligence piece is key, you know, because Ben, you've mentioned several times, you know uh, You don't understand why some of these droids and robots have intelligence But I think the fact that all of them have intelligence is what gives them the ability to interact in these very uh, You know, these uh, culturally rich ways
2: Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's even down to like, you know, Jabba's HR droid, EV-99 Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, he's, he's, he's like torturing droids, he's, or actually she, she's torturing droids, she's, uh, you know, deciding, you know, that R2-D2 should be a bar cart, uh, you know, it's just, why, one, why is she intelligent, and two, why, why is she so mean? Uh, you'd think she'd feel for these other droids, like, why is she working to Jabba's horrible whims like this? Yeah. Well, you know, I've dealt with a lot of HR
0: people and I have to tell you that, you know, this is this almost the parallels are shocking, to be honest with you. And I think when certain people get a level of power, cruelty sometimes follows. So I think Mm. that this is less this is more, you know, not only do people have these tendencies, but I think it's a very human. I mean, it's definitely anthropomorphizing to the max like it's, you know, taking. Uh, something that we see in human beings and applying it to droids, but they're the same. I mean, you know, you go back and forth and we see the same tendencies
1: both ways, which that's what interests me the most, I think. Well, yeah, because you got the positive here, right? I know I'm going back a few movies. You got C-3PO getting his hot oil bath and being Mm -hmm. super excited by that, right? And I I just have to say, so far my car has not expressed excitement over the car washes I give it. Um, Maybe (laughs) I just don't give it car washes enough. I don't know, or they're not good ones. We need to have an intelligent car.
2: Yeah, or perhaps you just don't speak the binary language of the engine control computer. Ah. Uh, that, you know, maybe it's just yeah. a failure to translate and you need a C-3PO to help you out here. <laughs> that should be true. <laughs>
1: Um, I can't wait till Tesla advertises the feature, though. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, right. Well, there's yeah, also this great scene. be here scene. anytime.
1: <laughs> it would be very
0: close. It's on, it's on its way. Well, there's this yeah. great scene, you know, in Return of the Jedi at Jabba's palace right at the beginning where you have C-3PO, R2-D2, and this eyeball droid that is, you know, representing Jabba. And they're all talking, but there's three different languages, but they're mm-hmm. all communicating. It's, they're all translating instantly. I mean, it'd be like going to Europe and someone speaking Italian, French, and Spanish and none of them are converting to any other language, but they're all understanding each other. I mean, it's kind of strange. Human beings have, I think, have a hard time doing that because languages, as we've talked about in another episode about the arrival, uh, languages can be very specific and have their own set of values and rules with them, which make can change your perspective. This is just kind of a free-flowing, you know, conversation, just using different beeps, boops, you know, and <laughs> words,
2: really. Yeah, I, I think it's also fascinating that C-3PO and R2D2 have different. You say their names differently in Hatties, uh, hmm. you know, when he's talking to the droid. Like, does that, like, it's an interesting implication that their names change in a different language. <laughs> oh, I like that. Hmm. I actually have
1: a question for you, Ben, as the resident Star Wars expert. This is something mm-hmm. I hadn't thought of till Dan analyzed the situation um, as he is wont to do. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we have this situation where you have to hire C-3PO to translate... Um, Moisture binary and you know the, mm-hmm. the first right, right. in the first Star Wars, <laughs> yeah. but as, as as Ben pointed out, I feel like the droids tend to talk to each other like sometimes without translating and sometimes with translating. Yeah. Um, you know, right. like C three PO always talks to R two D two in English. He never beeps mm-hmm. and boops mm-hmm. at him. Um, right. Is that just because R2 understand? Is R2 bilingual? Is that what we're supposed to conclude here? Like, are there multiple droid? Like, I, I'm a little confused about the droid culture structure of language.
2: <laughs> yeah. Mm. I, I mean, my, my understanding is R2-D2 has, can understand any language But they cheaped out on the the voice system and so he can only speak the beeps and boops gotcha but he can understand anything okay things
1: and and so some droids are like that okay this is making some sense but dan to your point earlier it makes a very Mm. complex cultural interaction where language can be one directional right like you can understand and not speak and vice versa Mm -hmm. right
0: Yeah, I think it's really interesting. I mean, because they're not the only people who are, you know, we see some things in human or human in English, some things (laughs) in beeps and boops. But this is throughout every, I mean, in every single robot, every droid seems to have their own beeps and boops system. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. probably why C-3PO's programmed with six million forms of communication, you know, and even we see him tell a story to the Ewoks at the end. He does pretty good impressions, you know. So he can—he you know, he sounds like Darth Vader. He sounds like Ewoks. He sounds like you know the the um, the ships flying by. Sounds like a lightsaber. He's really good at a lot of this stuff, <laughs> yeah. and I think that's you know, it, no pun intended with the oil baths. But I think this is where C three PO shines uh, is being able to really. That that fluidity to go from language, to to eliminate a language barrier throughout the galaxy is extraordinarily important. And while he's a little bit of a dorky droid, this does make him extraordinarily valuable and why people want to keep him around.
2: And it shows you two things. One, he has incredible, like, synthesizers on board for, like, making all these sounds. You know, there's there's some good programming (laughs) going on there. But also, it means somebody told him all this stuff. Because... He wasn't there when Luke fought Darth Vader. How does he know? How does he know what Darth Vader sounds like? Who told him?
1: Oh, this well, is interesting. Yeah,
2: you know, but but he is also a very
1: smart droid. Now, I will say this: is, this has an analogy that I think Dan will appreciate. One mm-hmm. thing our our longtime listeners and viewers understand is our close connection with dogs on this show. Um, Absolutely. And it well, just some of us, Dan, and some of us. Oh, don't. I, I love my I love dogs, Dan. I just. I love cats more, that's all, (laughs) which I know is, you know, sacrilegious in some circles. Um, But it just struck me, you know, R2-D2, understanding everything but only speaking in beeps and boops, are a lot like dogs or other animals, right? We as humans Mm, mm -hmm. have a very diverse vocal structure so we can say lots Mm -hmm. of different things. Our animals clearly understand our English. um, And Mm -hmm. we're the ones who are, are the losers who can't understand their barks just because they can't. Um, Reframe it as English sentences. So I think there's a close analogy here (laughs) to the biological world. As Dan, you are wont to say, right? Biology is nature's technology.
0: Uh, it is yeah. true. Well, I will tell you really quickly, Ben. I mean, when I bet a dog hears us, our voices as beeps and boops. And, uh, you know, barks, you can tell the difference. I know when my dog is barking because it doesn't like another dog or barking because it's getting my attention because she wants to go outside. Mm-hmm. So they're little – they are different, subtle, and we pick up on them by being around them so much. You,
2: you, yeah. you
1: do. They just never speak English.
2: Very, Al- although I true. do have I do have <laughs> to wonder how – because – Presumably, R2D2 is making its noises with a speaker, um, yeah, and there, right. there's no limits mechanically engineering speaking on a speaker being able to create any noise in 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 that spectrum of sound. Mm-hmm. So I'm very curious: is does it have a speaker, and they just the programming's cheap, or are are there like you know hammers and bells in there? And that's why somehow cheaper than a speaker. <laughs> oh, I'd love it if there were hammers and bells. So to be honest I, 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 with you, yeah, <laughs> I
1: love that. But clearly, Ben, it was a programming choice. And I think, Dan, the final piece mm-hmm. of this droid culture that fascinates me is mm-hmm. it shows that the species throughout this galaxy have made some mm-hmm. very, very interesting choices in creating their droids. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, I think that that's right. And because there's such a diverse droid population, I mean, it is as diverse as the alien human population, the humanoid population. Right. Uh, But one of the things I want to make sure we hit on before we leave droid culture is this, you know, this idea at the end of Return of the Jedi, where the Ewoks somehow consider C-3PO uh, a deity, you know, and they kind of cart him around. It's a little strange that he asks them not to do stuff and they ignore him, like cooking <laughs> Han. Uh, mm. Even though they see him as a deity, yet uh, they still worship him like that. And and he says, the reason why I'm saying this is he specifically says, it is against my programming to, a pers- and to impersonate a deity. And I love that, you know, th- that there are still these, you know, as you would say, Ben, these guardrails on his programming that yeah. that make sure that he doesn't take advantage of other species that may see him in that light.
2: Yeah, I mean if a golden being came down to you, I mean, you might think it's a god, too. I mean, it makes Definitely. sense that, like, a primitive culture like the Ewoks, uh, that might be their deity figure, but I can also appreciate, you know, not listening to them, because uh, you know, if you've got a tasty uh, Han barbecue coming up, um, right. you know, that, that, how else could you best serve the golden god than a tasty uh, Harrison Ford uh, on a spit? It's a good point. <laughs> It's really no, it is point. a good
1: point. And, <laughs> and I do like, though, the, the, these guardrails because it shows to me that, that, they're, that they are an interesting combination of this created and limited by the people who built and programmed them, mm-hmm. yet at the same time have some independent action. Um, because Luke is able to kind of override the guardrails and get C-3PO um, to do what Luke needs, being Luke's droid, basically um right and so there is there is this back and forth between programming um orders and free will and and that's really going to be critical um for us to design appropriate ai robots that don't lead to the apocalypse
2: yeah i have to i i kind (laughs) of wonder there did c-3po know what luke was going to do because he seems confused Mm -hmm. in the moment so is that what enabled him to like override his deity impersonation uh programming (laughs) uh because otherwise, I don't know. I think it may have still kicked in if he had, uh, if he had known what Luke was actually gonna going for there. That is interesting.
0: I mean, it's it's to see the, you know, the limitations of the programming because they, they, like you said, Denon, there's a level of free will to this. They seem to be able to, you know the AI that they have seems to give them an ability, uh, you know, kind of an agency over their own actions with limitations. It's kind of like human beings. They seem to have a moral or ethical compass that they have to follow instead of a strict set of guidelines, even though he is a protocol droid. You know, there seems to be Mm -hmm. a little fluidity, especially with R2-D2. But you know, one thing that that I think is really important to mention with droid culture, is the interact? we you know, we kind of see how droids interact mostly between C-3PO and R2D2, and they they kind of you know, they're they're kind of thrown together. You know, they they didn't mm-hmm. you know so to speak like grow up with each other. You know, they were they were kind of thrown together, and they kind of fight back and forth. And C-3PO is kind of like this you know bratty older brother who <laughs> is kind of like <laughs> does, you know if C- if R2D2 gets left behind, it's okay, but you know he will give him. You know he also mentions when another droid blows up. Oh hey that that astromech is a good one to bring on board, right? Yeah. And then, mm. yeah, so they kind of fight like siblings, you know, in, in a weird way. They kind of become like frenemies slash siblings. And even at the end, you know, when R2-D2 is kind of messed up, C-3PO offers, you know, his gears to help repair him. Right. So yeah. they do have this strange connection that kind of grows, but it is nuanced just like human being interactions. And I love that part.
2: Yeah, it, it's fascinating that the attitude R2-D2 has while still being very lo- lovable. Even EV-99, right. <laughs> who... Uh, yeah who is clearly very feisty, you know, says, my, you're a feisty one yeah. uh, to R2-D2. So, uh, y- you know, it's it's the lovable scamp, really. Uh, yeah. And it's, it's amazing how they got that personality in with just the beeps and boops. Yeah,
1: yeah. that's right. And it, it shows how universal language is, Dan. I yeah. mean, mm-hmm. you, you, we mentioned it in our previous episode, right? You, you can communicate a lot without actually having words that you all understand. And... And there is a lot communicated in that relationship. I mean, I know again, going back to the first movie, um, I I feel one of the best scenes is, you know, when when the two, um, you know, when C three PO insists on going in the wrong direction. Um, Right. (laughs) And and I do, I do have to share a personal story. Um, Hmm. uh, Two things quickly about my daughter: one is she claimed to have seen the movie. Um, We did not believe it. She certainly didn't remember any of it because as we rewatched the first Star Wars, she's like, why are they in a desert and not in space? Isn't this a space movie? Um, that really caused us to question her having seen it. Um, <laughs> yeah, that would definitely raise suspicion for sure. And then the final thing was at one point, partway through the movie, and this is very true, she just announced C-3PO is my spirit animal. Um, and the family has latched onto that. And it goes to show what a real personality, what real culture they gave these that, you yeah. know, my daughter would identify with a droid as her spirit yeah. animal. I mean, mm, she yeah. channels C-3PO all the time.
0: Wow, that must yeah. be interesting to be around. Yeah. <laughs> C-3PO's, C-3PO's an interesting character, for sure. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, look, I've got C-3PO characteristics, uh, and we know Ben does as well. <laughs>
2: yeah, well. I mean, my real concern is that she may be unintentionally impersonating a deity all the time. Yeah. <laughs>
0: It's possible <laughs> and probably advantageous. Uh, but yep. so I want to move on. So we got droid culture down. And one of the other interesting things here that we have in this movie is kind of strange, interesting humanoid biology. You know, uh, Jabba mm-hmm. the Hutt is is a classic example of one of the weirdest creatures I think in the Star Wars universe because he's kind of. A gigantic slug, in a way, but he's also has a vertebrae and he's got arms and he's, you know, he's got a mouth and, uh, I mean, I guess slugs maybe have a mouth or mouth parts, but he's very interesting. He's like a, a, mm-hmm. a, a strange creature to really, from a tax taxonomical taxonomy, the taxonomy
1: of the huts is strange to
0: break mm-hmm. down. So, what did you guys think about Jabba the Hutt?
1: Well, I really think, I, I look at Jabba and Dan, I really think evolution. I mean, Mm -hmm. and and I do wonder, right? Like in the in in the Star Wars galaxy, you get to see, I think, an imagination of how else could intelligence evolve, Mm -hmm. Um, right? And you really wonder, like, okay, we we they're not a very fast moving creature. The Huts, it appears, Mm -hmm. and you know they clearly are intelligent, so that had to evolve. Mm-hmm. But for instance, did they evolve technology, right? Are the are their small arms and limited mobility enough to get technology, or did they just evolve intelligence and steal technology? Because they do seem to be of a criminal bent. Um, yeah. yes. It is these evolutionary and biological and scientific questions that that first strike me, Dan, when I think Those of the height. I mean, that's just yeah. where I go.
2: I mean, we also have to think about their native environment compared to where we always see them, which is on Tatooine mm-hmm. um, on the desert planet, you know, they're from now Hutta, which is a swamp planet. And so perhaps, you know, they're a little more limber in the water, <laughs> you know, once, once you got, a you know, if you're a giant slug in the water, you got the buoyancy going, your, your, your mass is less of an issue. Maybe they swim around a bit, you know, it, it kind of makes sense in that respect that, you know, this is not their native environment, you know, slithering around on uh, rocks.
1: (laughs) Well, that is definitely true, Dan. And I'm Dan, Ben, whoever you are. Uh, (laughs) I said it as well. If Ben says it, I'm thinking it. Okay, perfect. So you both make sense with that. I I still think it raises this interesting, you know, one of the things I love about evolution and biology and humans is Uh what made us such extreme tool users, which leads to technology, Mm -hmm. right? Because you do Mm -hmm. have creatures that use tools, but none of them to the extent we do. Right. And so it's the combination, mm-hmm. I think, of tool use and technology. And I look at their biology and structure and, and maybe, maybe they do in the water nature lead to an inventing of tools. But I mean, you certainly have dolphins who are very intelligent, um, but mm-hmm. have a limited you know, physical structure and right. haven't, to, to the best of our knowledge, have not invented tools yet.
2: We, well we they don't know if they're sure. stuck with flippers, you know, they can't it's hard for them <laughs> to <tough>. manipulate things. <laughs> tough to hold
0: a screwdriver. Well, you know, I think it's interesting when you talk about the huts because this, they look like slugs, but they had this vertebrae. And I was thinking they probably, especially with this swamp planet, they might be more akin to a tadpole that's like started to turn into a mm-hmm. frog because they've kind of like a frog head. But then that just <laughs> that stopped. It didn't lose the tail. You know, it didn't. Mm-hmm. It, but it still kind of has the tongue and it eats like insect like things. So it's kind of like, you know, uh, a a, a a tad grog or a, a, a frag pole, right? I mean, I that's like kind that kind of, right? You know what I mean? Like, it's, it feels like what it's like.
2: Yeah, I mean, I guess in a way it's a legless frog, but their arms <laughs> are much, uh, much smaller than like a frog. Like, when you think of a frog, you know, obviously you think of four legs, but mm-hmm. a frog's four limbs are. Very large and long, you know, compared to their body. So, and you mean do, four f o r e, their f o r e yes, limbs, not their f o u r limbs. Yes, right. Their front limbs, right? <laughs> right. Uh, whereas, again, you know, Jabba's, you know, he's got T Rex arms. You know, mm-hmm. what's, you know, he can barely, he can reach his mouth, and that's about it. But I guess that's all you maybe need.
0: Well, for that's something all you of that need to size eat. for sure. Right, yeah, yeah. 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 yeah.
1: <laughs> but but that's why I really question their technology development and they may be a species that told stole technology, right? Some other race came to the planet, tried to colonize, and the huts were able to overpower, outsmart, out, outclass them and just absorb the technology into their culture.
2: Or, or or some people found them on the planet got thought, "Man, these guys are good schemers." We should make them into our crime bosses. <laughs> oh, interesting. That's
0: probably part of it. Well, and it made me think, you know, because one of the things that their huts are known for it's kind of enslaving other races, including mm-hmm. the Twi'leks, who we see. Uh, yes, running around. You know, there's, um, there's uh, the you know his name Fortuna. You know, you know this Ben, the yep, guy who's Bid Fortuna. Yeah, Bit Fortuna, who's you know running around. He's got these sharp teeth and his these head tentacles kind of wrapped around his body, which is kind of strange. Well, we also see another dancer who ends up getting thrown down into the Rancor pit. And so they've kind of enslaved this group. But I, the Twilek, the Twilek, Twilek, Twilek. That's it. Twilek, Twilek. Thank you. The Twileks are pretty interesting because. They're not they have these tentacles on their head, but they're they're Mm -hmm. not really tentacles in the sense of like an octopus. They actually, I think, contain some of the brains, their sensory organs as well. And their skin can change all sorts of colors, which is kind of cool. So let's talk about the brain part first. You know, Ben, you are our brain expert. How is it okay to squeeze a brain into a into a long tentacle tube? (laughs)
2: I I mean, it's a little risky. You know, you don't have the the skull to protect it (laughs) uh, the same way. But maybe that's why they have two. It's redundant. Uh.
1: (laughs) You know, I just have to say, I I really am not a brain expert per se, Dan. Mm -hmm. But just the thought of squeezing a brain into a long tube, I love the phrasing of the question. Um, It's a very (laughs) geometrical physics question. Um, I like that a lot. Um, Thank you. And, and my understanding i'm not a astrobiologist either um mm-hmm. i you know so but i want to be clear i feel like it's not so much a whole brain in the twi- ben you may, maybe i'm wrong but it's more mm-hmm. part of their neural functionality right their yeah. brain is still in their skull right and they just have they they just have skills in their tentacles is that another way to say yeah
2: it? my understanding is it's like accessory brain and and, yeah. and neural offshoots cuz they have lots of nerves up there and sensory things and might be a little, you know, feeling good kind of stuff up there, you know? <laughs> sure, yeah.
0: It's a family show, well,
2: man. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's why it's, 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 yeah, feeling good stuff. Feeling good stuff.
0: Yeah, it's, but, you know, so that's really interesting. Their, their brain structure is kind of cool because it's almost like a Y-shaped brain, I guess. But what I'm yeah. really interested in is their their skin color because they seem to have quite a wide spectrum. You know, it's almost like a whole Crayola crayon box of what's possible with twilight because when you look at human beings, we're kind of limited. We really only have one skin pigment and you can either have none and be albino or I had a friend in college who was so dark he was almost purple and melanin is more like a brown color and so you can have a lot and be on the really dark side. You can be in the middle and be brown. You can have none and be white. So you kind of have three options with a minimal spectrum in human beings. But what if we could find something more exotic? And I looked and I found two interesting ideas that I want to get your take on, guys. First, there's some humans, uh, <laughs> there's some humans, there's some people in Kentucky, <laughs> a, a family called the Fugates, who have this very rare disease. It's called methemoglobinemia. Hope I nailed that and basically it affects red blood cells so that they have a hard time both both uh, Both connecting with oxygen and releasing oxygen so their skin becomes blue They're actually blue and this is a very rare human condition That's one way to do it and another is a guy who took a lot of colloidal silver and it went into his cells And he became bluish purple you know, so these are two hmm. kind of on the same spectrum at the end of the light spectrum. But there are two ways that human skin color can change from the typical, you know, white, brown, black kind of spectrum that we normally see.
1: You know, and Dan, that is awesome because you just nailed the physics of color okay, um, with two examples, as you are so wont to do. Well, thank you. And really, when you think about color, you've got why the sky is blue. And, and rainbows, which is a reflection problem, right? Light is okay. a is a very narrow spectrum, and when light hits things, it can scatter, and only certain wavelengths make it back to your eye. So when light hits particles in, in the sky, only the blue makes it to you, and you see blue. Okay. And that's the colloidal particles. A lot of bird colors happen this way. The okay. feathers reflect mm. light in a cool spectrum because of the structure, how they're made. And the other one is the absorption, right? You Mm -hmm. you know, the light hits the thing. It's all going to reflect back. But look, some of it got absorbed. And that's the hemoglobin. And what gets reflected is only the blue. So there's really these two cool ways to create colors. um, And it gives a lot of nature, a lot of possibilities and options for doing this.
2: I mean, and when I look at the twilix, I really think it's it's that absorption thing. You know, they have different pigments. And I I liken it to a lot of, you know, reptiles we see on this planet, like Uh, jungle vipers that have different colors based on their locality and that's how the twi'leks are you know get their colors on their home planet of ryloth is their their colors are kind of family oriented and from where they are on the planet they Come in different colors because that's how they've evolved for their individual environments. Because I guess apparently Ryloth is the only planet in Star Wars that has different uh, biomes. It, right. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. There, there's the ice planet, the desert planet. It, it's all pretty,
0: pretty standardized, Homogenous planet to planet. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, well, one interesting thing that I read, you know, talking about the, these colors, is that I, I read this article. I'll put it up on the website. It said that mammals. That bright colors in mammals usually mammal carnivores usually denote something that is slow and stocky, which isn't as agile to, you know, climb up a tree or something. Mm. Or they're able to, this is very specific, they're able to spray noxious chemicals from their anal glands, i.e. the skunk, (laughs) let's say. So, (laughs) very specific. And so, in mammals, this is actually very rare. You know, the things you mentioned, Ben, are reptiles, amphibians, you know, things that are Mm -hmm. danger, danger, I'm poisonous, or I'm pretending Mm -hmm. to be poisonous. And so, you know... I don't know, I mean, there's lots of evolutionary pressures that create that, but is it possible? Mm-hmm. Like, I wonder, is there any, like, on-off switches in our DNA that would allow our skin color? I mean, I guess we can only really produce melanin, so it's only really shades of brown and red.
2: I mean, that's exactly what it is. Like, yeah. human, the only pigment we generate is the melanin, which okay. is the brown shade. And, and yeah. reptiles have the same pigment, you know? Yeah, right. Um, and when you talk about um, uh, albino reptiles, they're they hypomelanist, or hyper, uh, no, a word, uh, (laughs) which means they don't have melanin. So therefore they lose the browns and it's the same way in humans, but reptiles and amphibians and and fish and a lot of those other creatures, they do have other colors in them. They have the reds, they have blues, they have yellows, et cetera. Well, yellow is melanin generally, but, uh, (laughs) but it's this interesting thing that, you know, theoretically there's no reason you couldn't, you know, splice in some of those other pigments into human into the human's bot g- uh, gene mm-hmm. and start making the other colors. That's not totally ridiculous. There's no I mean, reason
0: we shouldn't do that, Ben.
2: There's no there's reason, no reason we, we, shouldn't. we shouldn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> I, no I mean, produ- yeah, I, I, I don't know if there's no reason we shouldn't do it. Yeah. But to me, that seems like one of the simpler um, mutations that could occur in a human is a mutation that causes you to have a new pigment as compared to like you know growing an extra limb or something you know that's right. a lot more wild sure. uh considering basically every uh vertebrate on the plant has four limbs <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah, well yeah, you know yeah. the
1: extra limb problem is challenging i also think it just would be a fun physics problem for some physics oriented bioengineer mm-hmm. to actually design a sort of it's roughly micron scale um structures on our skin surface that reflect light preferentially, right? And you could create mm-hmm. kind of shades of blue, red, orange, yellow, um, yeah. literally based on how the light reflects off your skin, as I mentioned with certain bird feathers do. Yeah. yeah. So you could imagine, you know, a very fine hair structure um, Interesting. On, on these various species that is reflecting light in just the right way um, to give you different um, skin tones.
2: Yeah. And to be fair, we, we have different hair colors. Yeah, at least we have red hair. Yeah. So, you know, it's not totally wild to think that, that that red pigment that makes our hair red could somehow cross into the skin.
0: <laughs> that is interesting. Well, because I guess the evolutionary pressure for humans is that melanin is a UV protectant for your skin, yes, and so that's yeah. why we make it and have it, and because it's very useful to us. Uh, yeah. You know, it, I don't know the advantages of having
2: red hair, but you know, there's the orangutan's pretty cool looking. Well, it's got a lot of. Well, moisture. I think. You- <laughs> You know, I think the advantage of being red is you'd look like Darth Maul, which is really cool. Yeah,
0: Darth Maul is pretty (laughs) cool. Yeah, he is pretty cool. Uh, Well, you know, something else that's cool and dangerous, let's say, right? And one of the other things that I think is is cool and dangerous in the the Star Wars world is the Sarlacc. Now, there's Mm -hmm. a subject to some controversy here, guys, because the Sarlacc we see in Return of the Jedi, the one I grew up with, the one that made me want to uh, explore the Star Wars world, is very different than the one that's known today because, as you mentioned, mentioned mm-hmm. uh, Denon there we thought Lucas thought there was a plan or we thought Lucas had a plan <laughs> and in truth he didn't really he's just kind of messing and making it up as he went along which includes changing the Sarlacc from a gigantic pit with you know teeth and a couple tentacles in the middle of the desert to an Audrey 2 kind of you know that- Venus fly trappy uh an active hunter, which is a very different thing. So if it's okay with you mm-hmm. guys, I'd like to talk about the Sarlacc pit we all came to know and love, the one with the big hole in the
1: ground. Is that okay? All right, that all right. is definitely fine. And Dan, before mm-hmm. we discuss the Sarlacc pit, sure. I would like to point out one thing that is consistent is your F-triple-G-B-T mug and merchandise. Oh, interesting. Yes. We, we are not going to suddenly make this an active predator. So right. our viewers do not have to worry. This will simply be a hole out of which you can drink your refreshing liquids. It's not going to suck you in and it will not become an active predator. Um, Wonderful. And the other great thing is if you ever are at a Sarlacc Pit party where you're trying to you know, throw someone in, you yeah. can relax on the deck of the ship knowing yeah. that your beverage is safe. Wonderful. I love yes. that.
2: Well, and also, while you're exploring the Dune Sea, looking for the Sarlacc, you're going to get thirsty, so you need that that Fascinating Gadgets uh, water bottle, because otherwise you'll get dehydrated, and you might slip and fall into the pit <laughs> and uh, get uh, consumed over thousands of years by the Sarlacc. <laughs>
1: that
0: sounds like a that sounds like a nightmare, and of course, the Sarlacc pit is just nature's technology. And I've got a shirt just for that. Biology is nature's technology. Whether you want to take some bite something and store it for a thousand years or dissolve it over the centuries, uh, look to biology for that level of technology. Uh, mm-hmm. But the Sarlacc, it's it's really interesting because it's this hole in the ground. Things fall into it. <laughs> But randomly, and you kind of know it's there. You almost have to feed it, or it, it needs some level of hiding. You know, I've, Ben, you mentioned this that this this animal is kind of based on the ant lion, which is yeah. really cool. You want to tell us about the ant lion because uh, I thought this was a, cr- a really scary, <laughs>
2: scary. Yeah, creature. it's a it's a bug that lives in loose sand at where ants are, hence mm-hmm. the ant lion thing. And if an ant happens to fall into the antlion's pit, the antlion can, like, sense that, I guess, through vibration feelings. You know, it's got, like, little hairs and stuff. Mm -hmm. And then it throws sand at the ant to make it slip and fall into its mouth. Like, it's... It's a terrifying creature.
0: <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent. And the sarlacc is a terrifying creature, as you as Lando yeah. can tell you, as he's getting pulled in by the tentacles. Uh, he's, but this is, there are some interesting things from a biological standpoint, right? So, yeah. so allegedly, these the sarlacc can live. They can live in remote places. They 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 mm-hmm. store and dissolve over time, so that they can slowly absorb the nutrients because they normally live in places where food is not abundant. They can even live on mm-hmm. you know asteroids, uh, you know throughout the galaxy or whatever. So I thought that was really interesting. But something that can store and keep something alive, you know, as with the um with the ant lion, it's a little mm-hmm. insidious because they bite <laughs> the ant, they then inject it with a neurotoxin. You know this is yeah mm. this is normal spidery anthropody <laughs> type fare they inject with a neurotoxin mm. dissolve the innards and then suck them out through a straw and then literally mm. throw the carcass out from their hole uh, I'm going to put a video up <laughs> yeah. about the Ant-Line. It's pretty brutal. Now, we don't see the the Sarlacc <laughs> throw anything out. I think Boba Fett uh, escapes you know, the, the Sarlacc pit, but I don't think he's thrown out because he's not dissolved. But that's an interesting mm-hmm. thought. My point is the interesting thought is to st- having something evolve to store and get the energy over a long period of time. I thought that was really kind of a cool adaptation.
2: Yeah, and, and it makes sense in a way. Like, let's say you've evolved. So So there's two things, right? First, the sarlacc is a sedentary creature, right? It, yeah, right. It's a pit that, that doesn't move. And so you would it, it can have a, a low metabolism. Mm-hmm. And co- so it, it doesn't need to eat often. And when it does eat, it can consume slowly because maybe it doesn't have fat stores to then live off of. Right. But the other thing you have to think about is if you, if you have a dead thing in your stomach rotting, that can poison you. Mm, so, it, it, in a way, it makes sense that you have to keep your prey alive so that it doesn't rot Jesus. and poison you yeah. while you slowly consume it. <laughs> well, yeah, there is
1: that. <laughs> there is that. <laughs> uh, there is that. Um, I, you know, but also, I, I do wonder. I mean, we we it thinks of we think of it as an acid, but it could be an interesting combination. Like vinegar is a very weak acid, and it's a preservative. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. you can have an interesting balance where. Um, you care less about whether it's alive or dead, Ben, but just being Mm -hmm. preserved and not rotting on you.
2: Right, Right. it doesn't have to be alive.
1: So the environment can serve this sort of dual, you know, chemistry purpose Mm -hmm. of both dissolving you um, but also maybe preserving you. And, yeah. and this is actually very useful because I think, you know, we, we hear acid and we think, oh, your flesh is eaten away right away. Mm-hmm. Um, and as was established, you know, kind of with, with, with Boba Fett, I think this is a very, very weak acid, much more like vinegar. It's more of a preservative. And that allows you to be slowly dissolved over the millennia, right? And mm-hmm. this is, this is a, an incredibly slow, painful process. Where in that process you die probably depends on your own internal biology.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm you know when you look at like sushi, that stuff is denatured with with acids as well, whether it's lemon juice or, you know, vinegar. There mm-hmm. are there are lots right. of weak the, in the food world and the you know frankly this human this body is food, right? And the food world <laughs> right. we do have lots of acids we use to essentially cook something or preserve it. So there are lots of options. Uh, but, you know, you mentioned, yeah. Ben, that, that there's um, that these are they're, they're sedentary creatures. They don't use their metabolism is very low. But this is what makes, if I may just rant for just a quick second, this is what makes <laughs> the 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 re-release of Return of the Jedi so silly and that if you mm. have this gigantic mouth and this is what it changes into this Audrey Two ask gigantic mouth actively going after prey. That changes the metabolism completely because that's a lot of wasted energy that seems completely counterproductive to what the Sarlacc pit is and how its biology functions. I think it only works as a gigantic, tooth-filled, tentacle-having hole.
2: (laughs) No, you're absolutely right. Like, if you already are a pit that things fall into, (laughs) why do you need a a, a mouth that sticks out to grab things? Like, it it doesn't make sense. And tentacles. You got
0: the tentacles. Like, come
2: on. Well, the tentacles kind of make sense as like the ant lion yeah, has, yeah, yeah. Ha, you know throw sand like I can appreciate like having tentacle tongue things you know for a little bit of extra uh you know oomph to get the thing down there well because the, they grow out Ben
0: like they the tentacles are yeah. out they're not they're actively moving later but you could easily have them stretch out or be hidden under the sand and not see them and they don't have to be moving actively all the time a mouth is something that's i mean as i know someone who talks
1: a lot and an active mouth requires a lot of energy to to oh it does yes it does yeah i i do have to add in here dan just a total another random side because this seems to be the show for sides it's somewhere between a plug and a personal story Um, our viewers may not know Um, that I am often willing to do, you know, challenge the physicist, right? Like stump Mm -hmm. the professor challenges. And I did one in a bar once. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you own a bar and you're looking for someone to talk Star Wars or superheroes, I'm on the market. Sure. Um, (laughs) And my, a different daughter, not the one who channels C-3PO was in the audience. And someone asked me to explain the Sarlacc pit. Now, Dan, you are very familiar with my technique of answering questions. There was at least a minute or two at the (laughs) beginning of random talking, and my daughter goes, it was fascinating to watch you go from, I have no idea what a Sarlacc pit is, and I'm going to try and answer this guy's question, to the moment where you finally remembered what the Sarlacc pit was, and you answered the question. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That is
0: very Denon. That is your technique. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 that's for sure. Yeah. Well, and I think so we I answered, have a
1: close personal relationship with the Starlock fan. A hundred
0: percent. And I think now you've got more fuel if ever that comes up again. Now you've got a lot more answers. And, you know, exactly. and, and we're available for hire as well. You we can hire us individually or as a group. Uh, we're happy to explain all your Star Wars needs. Uh, so one thing I want to talk about here is not only do, you know, do we in interact individually, but as a group, we work very well together. And I think one of the cool things about Star Wars is that you see everyone – Kind of gets along, you know, and kind of the same way that mm-hmm. everyone in the U.S. gets along. Right. I mean, there's, <laughs> we, we get along, you know, there's there's for, for the in comparison to throughout history. I think that we all do yes. a pretty good job and things are hopefully getting better. Better, I'd like to say, <laughs> but there's, you know, you're going to have rough patches, you're going to have people of cultural differences that go back centuries or millennia or whatever. And we see that in, you know, we kind of in the United States have made it work in a way that's better than any other time in history, at least we can say that. And we see you take that one step further when you're looking at the Star Wars universe, these these aren't just different types of humans. These are different types of aliens who also have their own level of subcultures. And for the most part, they get along with each other, and I'm including humans into that. Humans get along with droids. Now, there are some places where droids aren't allowed, and droids and humanoids don't always mix. But it's, it's, you know, there's, I don't wanna say it's utopia, but it's a pretty interesting template for what is possible when, you know, aliens inevitably, we come down and find out there are several other alien species.
1: This is what I think it's going to look like in the future. Well, I think it's an interesting it is an interesting take down cuz I, I you know, we tend to see the Star Wars movies when war is going on. Yeah, so right. I'm kind of impressed at your ability to see the general peacefulness of the galaxy. That, um, it doesn't sound I, like me do, does it. <laughs> <That's not> no, <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't. But it was a long time ago. I don't know. But enough. I do I you know, when you brought it up, it is it is an interesting world because um, it's almost like the crime, the government, the stress has reached an equilibrium that's, like, yeah. just just usable enough. Exactly. Right? It's kind of like the idea, you're always going to have some crime, mm-hmm. but let's keep it kind of minimal. Um, yeah. So, I, I, do, I do feel like there's this interesting sense, almost, of the emperor, you know, as, you know, uh, an evil creature— I don't really know where he's going because he kind of upsets this general. Um, Let's get along at a basic level. I don't know. That's just kind of my feeling. But but Ben's the real historian here, so I, sure. I'm probably messing this up.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean it's fascinating because I, I think this is generally true if you talk about the good guys in Star Wars. Mm-hmm. You know, but they have a, a, that common enemy of the Empire. You know, the the Empire is is peaceful internally, but the Empire is also. Uh, mono uh, species uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know o- really only humans are allowed in the Empire with the exception of you know a couple of non-human cysts here and there There's droids uh, There's droids. they got a lot of droids are. Twer- well sure there's droids yeah. but they don't treat the droids very well in the Empire you know you, sure. you think about uh, well I mean you really only see the put-upon mouse droids and things <laughs> like that in <laughs> the Empire yeah uh, <laughs> the, it's not, it's, again, it's not the same as the Alliance, right? The Alliance has the droids working together, there's the, there's the Wookiees, there's the Twilix. there's the Bothans, there's all sorts of other creatures that we've, we see throughout on the good side, and, and it just goes to show you that, you know, you, if you have that common enemy, everyone can come together to stop it. Well, it is true. I guess I'm
0: thinking more of like the cantina, right? They're rough and tumble. Yeah. But there's lots of different species all kind of intermingling. And some are in the corner. Some are probably, but they're all, they're not fighting. In the cantina, like actively, yeah. it's not a war zone, you know. Han and Chewbacca are buddies. How could they be any different? You know, I mean, they're they're <laughs> yeah. totally different species. They don't even speak the same language. Uh, but again, somehow Han understands Chewbacca. Chewbacca has absolutely—he makes no attempts to speak English, uh, which <laughs> you know I find troubling. But they're they're yeah. buddies. There is an equilibrium, I think. And when you look yeah. at droids, even Luke, you know, look at the loyalty they have to Leia, and then Luke loves the droids. They get smacked. They get dropped into the sand after the sarlacc. Battle, and he's like don't forget the droids and they run by and pick them up yeah. So he's got a level of commitment to them as well, and you know, th- they're all working together
2: No, and, and I'm glad you're bringing that up and especially the, the cantina because it's interesting because the cantina on Tatooine That's kind of outside of the war right you're mm-hmm. on the outer rim. They don't really care about what's going on right? Um, despite being included in the in the finale montage after the Death Star is being destroyed, right? Uh, <laughs> but but I but I like that because it, it goes to show you that when you're when you're out there, you're there. That's that's a place about surviving in the elements. Mm-hmm. And again, it's you know working together to survive this awful desert planet. Mm-hmm. Right. You have these aliens coming together, coexisting, and you know commiserating in in the cantina over how awful it is on this stupid desert planet.
1: Yeah, right. <laughs> and, and that's something that really strikes me. And and uh, uh, at the risk of being vaguely. I don't know, political or social or something here. Mm-hmm. Like you have miserable places to live in Star Wars. Yeah. But you don't really see what I would call extreme poverty. Like there's no mm-hmm. one who's homeless and there's no one who doesn't have anything to eat. Right. You yeah. have um economic stratification, right? You right. have places that are certainly way nicer and more luxurious. I would mm-hmm. not right. call the houses on Tatooine luxurious. No. But mm-hmm. it, it does it does make a general statement about humans, you know. That if all our basic needs are pretty much met, we're much. We it it's easier to then think about the next thing of us kind of working together and getting along and what's what's going on. Um, yeah. And 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 also, you mentioned it. You have ice planets. You have whatever. The planets tend to be a little more sort of socioeconomically uniform, mm-hmm. right? So if everyone on Tatooine is sort of equally suffering, mm-hmm. right? I mean the huts. You know, they're kind of the crime bosses, but I have to say, yeah, they have some nicer food and they have droids that serve alcohol, but it doesn't look that much better than the cantina in the in, in <laughs> the enough. city. I don't yeah. know, like that's just my personal opinion.
0: Yeah. Well, even even yeah. even Jabba's crew is pretty diverse. Now, he eats a lot of like gigantic bugs, so I don't know if the food is better per se but but i, I know what you're getting at then i know what you're trying to say
2: yeah <laughs> yeah well i'm sure if if Jabba wanted you know wagyu bantha he could get that instead but that's not what he eats yeah. <laughs> you know, he, yeah, yeah. he's from the swamp he eats bugs Fair makes sense yeah yeah the real thing is think about the shipping costs to bring in that food from the swamp
1: well yeah no like i said the, the, he definitely has more money but it's not like Shown in this super flashy oh, oh, way. Oh,
2: absolutely. I'm just saying, you know, he, he's got the luxury of eating his native food, yeah. even on Tatooine. Yeah,
0: that is true. <laughs> he does know a couple of smugglers, so uh, it gets in. <laughs> I do like Wagyu Bantha meat. That's, that's fantastic. Uh, well, so, you know, since you've st- you've added Wagyu Bantha meat, Ben, we, we've come to this very important part of our show, and that's our airs additions, and omissions section. Things we wanted to talk about, but we didn't quite get to. Dennett, anything about Return of the Jedi that you wanted to quickly mention?
1: Well, with Return of the Jedi, I'm, I'm with you, Dan. I, I don't know if this is where you're going. I think it's a huge error error to do all the restuff he did. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm, don't yeah. go back and change your movie. Like, stick with your first one. I I just think that's really important. Um, And and though we did discuss droid culture in depth, um, the error I'm going to make is make a reference to something that's not in Return of the Jedi, but another Star Wars movie, so we can make that correction later. Mm -hmm. But finding a single ring on a desert planet and announcing that you have found droids. (laughs) um, (laughs) Yeah. Yep. Is, is one of the most interesting plot devices I've ever seen <laughs> particularly after you chose not to scan the the pod that went out with the droids in it because you saw no life forms <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right it's it's yeah. a very
0: conf- interesting interesting way to do yeah. that uh, the, 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 the
1: Empire w- had the built in I mean it was going to self-destruct even if they didn't find the hole they built into the Death Star <laughs> which was later explained as sabotage right Yeah. <laughs> they it, it
0: it, They're on their way out anyway uh, what about you, Ben? Anything you saw that you wanted to mention?
2: You know, I had some awful, uh, you know, engineering flashbacks. You know, w- when you start Return of the Jedi, you see, you know, Vader showing up and you know telling them, you know, the the man the, De- the Death Star managers talking about how they're behind schedule and the Empire is not giving them enough men and time. And I just think, you know, even the Empire, they you know they don't give the proper resources and manpower for <laughs> engineering projects. Uh, <laughs> Uh, uh, that seemed deeply personal. You know, this is this is the emperor's <laughs> premier project. You know, this is the thing that's going to keep the empire together, and he can't even, you know hire enough contractors to build the thing
0: right right (laughs) this this does feel deeply personal ben uh but i do love that you found that parallel you know one of the things (laughs) i I thought there were a couple interesting things here really quickly it's very strange that han own like individuals own a millennium like something the size of a millennium falcon or their own (laughs) ships because they seem extraordinarily Mm -hmm. expensive to maintain you know cars are expensive to maintain but they're you know they're smaller you can go to a mechanic everyone seems to be doing their own work and they're they're huge. The Millennium Falcon's, and it's yeah. just Chewy and, and and Han. I thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, you know, Yoda, when you see him in Empire Strikes Back, he's kind of a spaz. He's really like all over the place. You know, it, it's weird. Mm-hmm. It is weird to think of him as a Jedi Master. I can see where that confusion would happen. I didn't. I hadn't seen these movies in a really long time, and so a lot of this stuff is mm-hmm. was kind of not new to me, but it refreshed my memory. And that was another one. And the last one is that Princess Leia. She's really not very nice you know she's she's pretty mean throughout the movie and i don't know why she has to be that way she could be you know she's kind of in charge she's got princess in her title i don't know why she's so mean to han obviously there's some underlying sexual tension no you know no spoiler alert mm-hmm. uh, but i thought she could have been a little bit nicer i didn't really i forgot about that uh but you know that's that, that's all that i have but that may not be all that you guys have at home so if there's any way you, if you want to get in touch with us and tell us something that we missed that you noticed you can get in touch with the show on social media. We are on Twitter at F Triple G Pod. We are on Facebook at F Triple GBT. And you can find us on the web at wait, hold on. www.fggbt.com, But you can get in touch with us individually. Dennon, where can people
1: find you? Well, you find me on all the major social media networks by flipping my name. It's at Denon Michael. That just does not work for Facebook because, I don't know, I'm old or that's old. You have to yep. stick a prof in there. It's at Prof Den and Michael.
2: Ben, where can people find you? You can find me on all the major social media networks at B. How do you spell that? Spell that B-S-I-E-P-S-E-R.
0: And I can be found on Twitter at Daniel J. Glenn, on Facebook at Analytical Mastermind, and on Instagram at J Glenn. And if you want to send us a message that we can answer on the show, questions at FGGBT.com.
1: And if you're listening on your favorite podcast platform, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe.
2: If you're watching us on YouTube, hit the like button, subscribe, and ring that bell so you never miss an episode. And remember, we've
0: given you lots of information that could be misused by those hell-bent on world domination. And as we all know, the Star Wars universe has no shortage of people who want to take over the galaxy. But you must take this information and do good with it. Remember, you always want to be a superhero, never a supervillain. So until next time, thank you for listening. Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies is a Glencoe production and is produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The fascinating gadgets, gizmos, and gear-based technologies introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and Paul Springers with music and sound design written and performed by Paul Springers. Now, of course, if you're listening to this episode and you've gotten this far, you're going to want to subscribe. Well, how do you do that? FGGBT.com. And before you leave, don't forget to check out our other episodes. You can find the link at the top of the page for everything we've got, and you'll notice that we've got both a YouTube version and an audio-only version. Depending on what you like, we got it for you. And if you do like those videos, you can go ahead and subscribe to those as well. We're on YouTube.com backslash Daniel J. Glenn. And once again, if you like this show, you're going to like everything that I do. Go to DanielJGlenn.com to find out more. Thank you for listening.